0: this is the woman behind the business featuring honest dialogue that advances and inspires women entrepreneurs here's your host angel livis
1: this week on the woman behind the business is your brand your number one attraction you know me i'm your host angel livis and if you know anything about me you know i love branding Today, we have two guests who seem to attack branding from opposite ends of the spectrum. So I'm excited to see just how different their perspectives are by the end of the show. Now, Carla A. Fleming is the CEO and founder of Pivoting Strategies, a strategy firm with a focus on the impact of brand strategy on marketing. This company helps businesses and nonprofits to develop a long-term roadmap to how their businesses can align with their customers at every touchpoint. Now, what happens when this alignment occurs? New opportunities are identified, client and prospect expectations are clarified, increased revenues, and more meaningful, relevant customer engagements. Carla has over 25 years in marketing, and 20 of those years were spent at IBM. Welcome to the show, Carla. Well, hey, Angel. How are you doing? (laughs) I am well. I am well. Now, going through your website, and it's so funny because I've knowing about your company. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest, I never really understood what you did Mm -hmm. as a business Mm -hmm. until I went to this one particular page on your site (laughs) and it gave me like this. I was like, oh, wow, that's, (laughs) you know, like this is what she does. So when it comes to branding, how important is it to make sure that, you know, you're picking the right business name and you're picking the right like color schemes and all of those things?
2: (laughs) Oh, it can be really important because I rebranded my company as of last year. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. It started off as Renewable Marketing because I was sitting, I was working with a nonprofit as our CMO, and I was setting up my business on the side. So I, the brand name we came up with was Renewable Marketing. We're in the renewable energy space. Marketing is what I did. So that's, that was the name. It it, it makes sense. You know, people talk about, well, it's easy for Google to know what you do, right? Mm About six months after I did it, I started to think, I don't think this is resonating. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what led you to that conclusion? Well, when you start talking about what you do and people say, oh, you do marketing and they immediately run to marketing execution. So it's the email campaigns, the social media, et cetera. And you sit there and say, no, I do marketing strategy. And they look at you like you have horns on your head, Mm -hmm. because it's not something that I find that every small and medium business owner knows about, thinks about, because really it's the secret sauce that Fortune 500 companies use every day and think about every day of how they're going to find new opportunities um, to grow their business.
1: Now, when you say it's a secret sauce, Mm -hmm. like what does that mean? Because there are a lot of people, like you said, if you're in a small or medium-sized business, you may not even have a clue what really generating and taking the time to have a marketing strategy developed. So talk to us a little bit about what that actually
2: means. So when you have a marketing strategy, you have a roadmap for who is your customer, what they look like, where they live, what they do. Um, if you're in the business to consumer space, you may know that their income. You may know their how many kids they've got, all the demographic stuff. About them. If you're in the B2B space, you're going to say, well, how many employees do they have? Um, you know, what's the revenue size? What industry are they in? So it will it, your your knowledge about your customer will change based on where you you sit. Mm-hmm. But it, it gets deeper than that, because everybody kind of knows that. That's kind of the, th- the th- thumbnail, thumbnail stuff. Everybody knows
3: mm-hmm.
2: what gets below what's really below the line is the thing that they don't know or they don't observe. That's what we want you to tell us. So that, is, so I, I'll give you an example. If you look at Walmart and say Amazon, mm-hmm. you would think, okay, they're both in retail. They pretty much sell a lot of the same things, but in reality, they don't. So Walmart is more about low cost. You get, you, you solution it or you buy the, the product from their store, mm-hmm. Amazon, their store is online but the products you may buy may be more diverse, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So each of them have a different strategy of how, who their customer is, how they know them. Um, Amazon may say, my customer's more upscale, more middle class, upper middle class. And Walmart may say, well, we're middle class, but we're also you know, for the working person mm-hmm. who may be on a limited budget and we can service them just as well and maybe better than anybody else can, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So both companies are in retail two different types of customers and the way they deliver their services can be different. Mm -hmm. So Walmart will be mostly the store, Walmart pretty much online. Now that's, you would say that was probably true till about a year or two ago Mm -hmm. when Amazon just really jumped into, let's say 2016, they went off and did the acquisition of Whole Foods. So they now have bricks and mortar. Mm -hmm. And around the same time, Walmart um, made an acquisition online. of Jet.com. Mm-hmm. So it's an online e-commerce platform. Why? Because they had a weakness in their marketing strategy. Of, we have a store platform. It's not delivering growth anymore. It went from 2013 to 2016. It was flatlining.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then in 2016, it declined. Walmart's executive team wasn't going to have that. So they went out and did a $3.1 million acquisition of Jet.com to s- plug a, a gap in in their strategy
3: mm-hmm. okay
2: the benefit of that saw 50 percent increase in revenue they um now have a 70 million dollar online store
3: mm-hmm.
2: that can rival
3: mm-hmm.
2: amazon amazon turned around and said okay what's our gap mm-hmm. <laughs> their gap was they wanted bricks and mortar uh and they went and bought whole foods for about three billion dollars on that or 1.3 billion dollars And they saw an immediate uptick in the next quarter in terms of their revenue. But what that has given them is not just bricks and mortar. It's allowed them to take a some of their online stuff, like the Alexa Mm -hmm. Echo, and put that in the store. Mm -hmm. But it's also allowed them to address another problem that some of their customers were having is, I don't want you leaving my purchases at the door. So now, based on the size of the purchase, they can probably pick it up at Whole Foods and so now they've, they've satisfied the customer that had a need that, you know, may not have been as obvious. Now,
1: how is this relevant to a small business or a startup? Because okay. all of our businesses are not billion dollar
2: companies. Like exactly. And- <laughs> exactly. 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 <laughs> so when I sit down with my clients and a lot of them are solopreneurs, mm-hmm. um, what we sit down and talk about is, who are you? What, what, why did you get into this business? And there's, because as a small business, it always comes from the owner. And so we've got to articulate what's your message. But then once we articulate the message, it's like, okay, so based on what you said, I can see where you're targeting your customers or where you're playing today or want to play. But let's really ask the question based on the price of your services. Is that the good fit? And then from say, you know, how do you attract them? You know, we may say, well, depending on whether you're a B2C, business to consumer, or B2B, business to business, I may say, well, maybe you're better off on Facebook if you're business to consumer and that's where you play. Or if you're business to business and your customers, based on the profile we develop, are really sitting on LinkedIn, then that's where you need to be. Mm-hmm. So it's really making sure that you create an attraction and you're there and in an alignment with the customer where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so your strategy will guide that. And then the strategy, once you build it, will then guide the tactics you use for the marketing execution. So if you are targeting B2B, it, you may have to be at industry events that are relevant to your customer to you know, be at their trade shows, um, making sure that you're holding events, maybe you're getting up on stage as a thought leader, you know, sharing more about what you do, but also how you can help them with your mm-hmm. products and solutions. Um, if you're a business to consumer, maybe it's your your form of a trade show. Maybe you need to be in that retail facility. Maybe if you're, you know, delivering, you know, some type of um, food product, you may need to be in Costco mm-hmm. showcasing, letting people taste and experience your food in order to attract your customers. So, you know there are differences there, but I think the other big difference that I don't think people always see between business to consumer and B two B B two B is that business to consumer is very much a volume business. Mm-hmm. So if you're selling through Walmart, there are huge volumes that you've got to hit, and Walmart's going to look to see if you as a a um, um, product place mm-hmm, can actually deliver mm-hmm. before they're willing to make that commitment. And They may do a, a, a gradual rollout across the country, to, mm-hmm. you know, to, to not stress you, but also to make sure you can deliver. Whereas business to business, your volumes may be less, but your ticket, your um, price point, mm-hmm, right. <laughs> your price point might be might be way higher. Right, you may be selling. You know, a deal may take. Two years to get done, but maybe $20 million. Right. So there are variances in how you do it, but your strategy has to reflect, you know, your sales cycle, um, the customer, um, how they want it delivered. Mm -hmm. You know, is it necessarily face to face? Maybe it's, you know, um, over the Internet or maybe it's over the phone.
1: Now, I feel like a lot of uh, business owners have a hard time with pricing Mm -hmm. and even knowing how to market. So, yes, there are all these different mediums. And even if you just say B2C social media, mm-hmm. people are like, oh, do I need to be on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Snapchat? Like they're, they're literally going through, and even Pinterest is mm-hmm. even like a big one now. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, a lot of times people are like, well, I don't even know how and which platforms I should be utilizing. Mm-hmm. So, for you, because you just went through a mm-hmm. rebranding phase, mm-hmm. how do you go about? Making sure that you're reaching your target audience and that, you know, this is the right way to do it.
2: Right. So for me, I know my target audience sits on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. okay, because it's business to business and that's really primarily my focus as as a company. I still have a presence on Facebook just because the volumes are there and you never know who is going okay. to look. Mm. But if you had to ask, where do you, I live? Mm. <laughs> I really live on LinkedIn. I do some on Instagram just because there's a younger generation that along with LinkedIn is where they like to live less so than Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really, you know, making sure you're visible. Um, I have a company page on LinkedIn that when I just, I was looking through um I was googling just occasionally. I go through and check to see where am I showing right. up, mm-hmm. um, because you may need to turn around and make some investments there with uh, search engine optimization to kind of boost it. And you know, it was right at the bottom of the first page. I was like, "Hey, perfect!" <laughs> <laughs> so it tells me I'm still doing the right things. Which in my case, I'm engaging by posting, and I'm when I post, it's really I'm wanting my audience to really start thinking about the future of their business. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Because we spend so much time as business owners thinking about the day to day. And what I want you thinking about is the future of your business, which means you have to work on it. Because what works today may not work tomorrow, next week, next month, two years from now. Mm -hmm. So you need to be thinking about what's that next thing, and give yourself enough runway to actually figure that out. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's why I'm posting on, what are other companies doing? Because I think we have to get out of our industries, we have to get out of our space sometimes to kind of observe what other companies are doing or what new trends are taking place or how people are thinking, because that could be coming down the path to impact us, you know, either sooner or later. Now, are there any new trends as it relates to marketing? Well, what I'm, I'm seeing generational shifts. So, you know, for the last two, three years, the rage has been, you know, or five years has been talking about millennials. Well, now people are moving past millennials and starting to say, who is this Generation Z Mm -hmm. that we're talking about and what do they care about and who are they? And are they in the workforce already? <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> they're at, some of them are in workforce, some of them are in college, but they're here. So you know, for people who are wondering, well, what is Gen Z? It's really 1997 to the present in terms of the the, um, the young adults to the babies being born. Hmm. So some of their parents are what we consider either millennials if they're just being born, or they are Gen X parents, and that would be the front end of the Gen Z um, cohort. So millennial is anything that's like 1980 to 1996. Gen X is 1964 to 1979. And before that would be baby boomers. So that's 1946 to 1963. And, you know, we still have some in the silent generation, which would be 1929 to 1944, 45.
1: Okay. Now, your work, you know, you've worked at um, IBM, mm-hmm. for like the majority of your career, mm-hmm. the Brookings Institute, you did some work with United Way.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: From all of those, you know, big brands, mm-hmm. what would you say was the number one lesson that you
2: learned? And how do you implement that in your own work? Always be ready to tell your story. Whether it has been at IBM or United Way or even Brookings Institution, it was about, everybody's got a question, like, what do you do? Um, at Brookings Institution, I was in the book publishing division. So our goal was really to drive thought leadership. And I I almost laughed because one of my clients um, is a public policy person and it's really think tanks are about commercializing public policy. Mm -hmm. How do we bring those ideas to the table in such a way that then policy can be made at the legislative level, both at the, you know, federal, state, and local. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in this case with Brookings's mission, moving more international, it's also from that perspective as well. Um, United Way um, wound up sitting as um, joining them, their board on and setting up a marketing um team or committee, because I spent the first six months wondering, what do you do? and we realized I realized they had a fundraising challenge, and the challenge was we couldn't tell our story, and what we realized is when we started to unpack, we had a f- almost fifty year relationship with city of Alexandria. And we weren't really talking about all the value that we brought to the table. We would talk about the fundraising and the running of the campaigns, but that Not the impact that, yeah, the impact was the money stayed locally. Mm-hmm. That was huge because Alexandria's city of Alexandria is like 10 square miles, right? So having impact was the reason people gave. And we could talk about almost 50 years of impact that allowed us to actually, by having that story nailed down, allowed us to really hit our fundraising target, turn that presentation around as a recruiting tool for our board. So we wanted new board members. That was how we could leverage that. It all it had helped us identify a gap in our fundraising so that, not our fundraising, our um, onboarding, so that we put an onboarding program in, in play. And then the icing on the cake was that our ability to tell our story became the foundation of what you see as the Live United campaign today because even the national organization realized they had a need to, to tell a, story, a better story. And so they they looked at what we were doing and leveraged that to as a starting point for them to figure out who, what the story would be for them. At IBM, the story was when I would come into different teams and we would work together. Sometimes it was building stuff from scratch or taking something and driving it to the point that we would take it from incubator to mainstream. Um, it was always about our ability to tell our story, and then we had to tell our story internally mm-hmm. in the company first. Because that, if we get couldn't buy-in. get in right, if we mm-hmm. couldn't get the buy-in there, there was no way that your sales team could turn around and then go out to a customer and tell them why this solution was better than this, and here are all the benefits to your organization. And some of those discussions were financial, some of them were emotional, um, in terms of. You know you love this. No, I mean I have worked on some products that people had a love like, don't touch my, don't touch that. I want to keep that. Mm-hmm. You know what else can you bring to the table to enhance my experience in my relationship with that technology? Right. So storytelling overall was really, you know, the ability to tell it and tell it in a variety of ways.
1: <laughs> now. I feel like at the core of everything, like you love to read, you love to acquire knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the reason that you decided to create um, pivoting strategies? <laughs> that was like a, <laughs> a little
2: evil laugh. <laughs> no, I, I think. Well, so here's the thing. I was. I spent 20 years at IBM. They restructured. So I had to go out and find, you know, what I thought was go get another job. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what you're, you you normally think about. And I spent eighteen months looking for a job, and a lot of people said, "Well, you're overqualified. Um, you you have all this breath. You know, where's the? You know, we want you to specialize in one thing." And I'm not. Um, not a. Are you an Aquarius? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I I'm I'm more of a jack of all trades. Yeah. And so that in today's environment, I would say that's another trend in, IBM, in, in marketing that I'm, I'm really seeing is this need to specialize. But at the end of the day, I still think you need somebody that's a general a journalist to look across the board to say, what else are we not doing mm-hmm. or what else should we be doing or what should we do or, or not do? Mm-hmm. OK, um, so I started working with a, um, a nonprofit. Uh, they needed to go from zero revenue to revenue. So mm-hmm. I sat down and worked with them as their CMO and, and help them make that happen. Um, and again, that was telling their story too. But at the same time, I realized, wait a minute, if they can do this, I need to go start my own business. Why not? You know, I got talked into it, to be honest, because I thought I had you know a problem interviewing and they were like, no, you just have a lot of skills that would probably be better suited to starting and running your own business. Mm-hmm. So that was how I got into it.
1: Now, how long have you been in business?
2: As of last month, it's four years. Congratulations. Thank you. Now, would you
1: go back and change it?
2: No, because I don't think I would have learned and stretched the way entrepreneurship demands that you do it. Mm-hmm. It, it pulls a lot out of you to figure out what it is that you want that business to be. How do you define it? What are you going to do? What are you not going to do? I think the, the, the people I've met... The relationships I've developed in in terms of just networking and mentorship, and it's been both ways, Mm -hmm. Um, and the opportunities I've gotten, I would never have gotten if I had continued to be an employee.
1: Now, one of the things that you just said is actually one of my favorite things is the mentorship. Mm -hmm. How important do you feel that having a mentor um, is to building
2: a career and especially building a business? I think it's it's critical and i've I've always had them both when I was in corporate and um, even now I think I have more now <laughs> than I did then mm-hmm. um, I think it's critical because it you've got to in a company you've got I've used mentors to understand everything from how to do my job mm-hmm. to how do I advance my career to how do I understand the organization I'm in
3: mm-hmm.
2: to where do I potentially move next career wise, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as an entrepreneur, I use it to, to keep track of where I am in my development. Okay. And, And I do that on a number of levels. Like I have one mentor that we just, it's really more about a personal development. You know, what are you doing now? What does it look like? Another mentor I will use to figure out where I'm pacing myself in terms of my development as an entrepreneur, I'm I'm year three, year year four, what are the things I should be thinking about and doing? Um, I'm using a mastermind Mm -hmm. as well. Um, That was to do more mindset Mm -hmm. Um, because I think as entrepreneurs, you can really get down on yourself at times Mm -hmm. because this is so hard. I mean, to me, this is the hardest job I've ever had Mm -hmm. Um, because it's you by yourself a lot of times and you have to figure out how not to be by yourself. So you do have to learn how to reach out to your um, friends, family network Mm -hmm. and build a network if you don't have one,
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, because being around peer entrepreneurs, I think is key because this is an experience. It's kind of like... You, if you look at sports and you look at the NFL, play, uh, NFL players or hockey or basketball mm-hmm. or gymnastics, whatever, when you're doing that sport and you're doing it at your at the highest level, only a few people understand what that's like, mm-hmm. right? And so having that community of folks that you can talk to, that you can say something, they look at you like, oh, yeah, I've done that. I've been there. I feel you, right?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So you wouldn't change anything, What would you say has been your number one strategy that you've seen growth from? Because I think sometimes, you know, especially in the startup phase or in the rebranding phase, you're reintroducing yourself. You're Mm -hmm. retelling the story of who you are um, as a company. Mm -hmm. But what have you seen great success from? I think
2: going out and speaking. Um. It's because that puts you on point to really know your story, what you offer, but you also have to stand up there and be that storyteller.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, how do you manage that room? It's not just you. It's because you standing up there is really not about you; mm-hmm. it is about the what audience, you know. exactly. <laughs> and what you give them. Exactly. And so you have to get outside yourself, or you know, you don't, you can't take yourself so seriously that you, you miss an opportunity to create an opportunity for someone else. Mm -hmm. Meaning when you stand up there and create that opportunity for someone else, you are giving them insights and wisdom, sharing your wisdom with them or tools, techniques, things that they can leverage to advance their own, um, business and organization. Um, and if you are, if you do that well, they're going to realize what they can do and what they need help with. Mm-hmm. And then how you present yourself is how they may come back and say, hey, can we sit down and have a further conversation? Mm-hmm. Because now they see that there's some value that you can bring to the table. Right. No, I totally agree with you.
1: Um. Yeah, I agree. Well, this has been very insightful. Um, I have really enjoyed it. And you're not going to leave just yet. (laughs) Okay. Um, But thank you so much for sharing so much about your process, so much about how you go about executing um, and working with your clients. I really appreciate it. And when we return, we're going to introduce our listeners to the woman behind Tower 9. Stay with us. Welcome to the WBB Legal Minute featuring Nayasha West. She's the principal attorney at West Law Firm where she specializes in business law and family law and bankruptcy. Today we're going to have a quick conversation about the different ways to get your business established. Now, Nayasha, what are those different entities that you can choose from when it comes time to establish your business?
4: The most popular Entities that most business owners um, choose to go with when forming their businesses are uh, sole proprietorship, LLCs, or a corporation. Um, And the entity that you choose depends on what the business is that you're getting into. If you're getting into a business where you'll have very low interaction with the public (laughs) and therefore very low liability, Um, then a sole proprietorship may be a good option for you. Um, If you're getting into any other business where you're going to be interacting with the public, um, selling them goods or services, then you would want to choose an LLC or a corporation. Um, And the reason is, is because um, with those entities, the business owner is personally protected. So your assets are personally protected. So if I have a business in my business is a store and somebody comes into my store and slips and falls if i have an llc or a corporation the person who slipped and fell would sue the company and they wouldn't sue me mm-hmm. so what this means is that my house and my personal assets are protected and they would be limited to the assets of the of the, the company. company yes
1: okay now really quickly what's the difference between an s corp and a corp
4: so an S-Corp is a corporation that doesn't have self-employment taxes, um, whereas a corporation has a whole host of other um of other taxes that the um, business would have to pay. Um, The biggest problem, not problem, but with uh, C corporations, um, the business owner may be subjected to double taxation Hmm. um, on their dividends. With the S corp, um, they wouldn't be subjected to double taxation.
1: Okay. All right, wonderful, this was great. Thank you so much for sharing this legal minute with
4: us. You're welcome.
1: All right, to learn more, how do people get in contact with you?
4: You can contact me at the West Law Firm. My website address is nawestlaw.com or my telephone number is 301
1: right. Awesome. Thank you. And stay tuned for the rest of The Woman Behind the Business. Welcome back to the Women Behind the Business talk show. I'm your host, Angel Livas. Now, previously, we were speaking with Carla Fleming, CEO of Pivoting Strategies. Now, we're keeping the conversation going and talking about branding with our next guest, Lindsay Lupe Jordan. Uh, now, Lupe, as she's affectionately known, is the founder of Tower Nine, a full service design house that expands the reach and image of their clients through creative direction.
0: Welcome to the show, Lupe. Thank you so much for having me. <clears throat> Absolutely.
1: Now, Lupe, you had you studied photography, you do film, and I feel like the basis of a lot of your work is from the study of film. Mm-hmm. So, talk to me a little bit about why that's so important.
0: Um, so in film you create, right? From the bottom up. So you build a story and you tell that story through your camera. And I think the same thing happens in business. You build a brand and you tell the story through your imagery. Um, and so what I like to do is take clients who don't necessarily have a presence in a digital space and transcend them into that space to grow their business. Um, so typically I work with um, startup companies, smaller businesses and individuals um and really trying to... My niche market I really want to help is small African-American-owned businesses because so often they feel like these services are unaffordable or not tangible or I don't need that. Or But bringing them into that space, in my experience, has just grown their businesses so much that um, it became a passion of mine to see that growth and to see that change and to see them embrace that new space.
1: So for you... And this is actually very interesting because even though y'all are sitting across from the table and Carla, I feel like, is very, you know, 25 years in hardcore corporate marketing, Mm -hmm. the corporate content strategy. You know, you've been doing this for less than a decade.
0: Yeah, of course. You know,
1: less than a decade. And yet the importance of the story is still the number one thing that I feel like both of you have said. Mm -hmm. And I think that's imperative for our listeners to understand is that, you know, branding is, yes, it's what people say about you when you're not present, but you can control your brand messaging. Mm -hmm. So how do you work with companies to help them control their branding?
0: Um, I think the biggest thing is for people to identify who their product is really for and to understand that it's okay for your product not to be for everybody. You can't be for everybody. Um, And trying to chase every dollar is often where a lot of people fail because they spend so much trying to lure the wrong people in that it bankrupts them in a sense. So I think it's important for people to identify who they are first. I think a lot of people go into business knowing their service, but not knowing who they are. Um, Mm -hmm. And so finding out who they are and being able to tell that in their product makes it that much more tangible for their consumer. You know, oh, I know that you make clothes because you want to tell the story of the kid from Southeast D.C. who never had anything, who was able to grow a brand to be the largest streetwear brand in D.C. You know, you want a consumer in Wyoming to know that story. Um, and they won't know that off word of mouth or hand to hand or seeing a flyer on the street. They need a you need a digital presence to tell that story. Um, and so that's really what I think I think I answered your question right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But okay, so I'm gonna take it one step further.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where do you feel that your niche is when it comes to branding? Because as we can clearly hear mm-hmm. there are so many different ways that, that you can target it. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it can be from the content strategy and it can be from the you know, you're actually the one that's saying, OK, these are the colors that we're using. Mm-hmm. These are the graphics we're using. Right. Some, sometimes we're doing all of that. Right? right. But what would you say is like your sweet spot?
0: Um, It's just creative direction. So coming up with the look. Right. What does this look like every day? So taking somebody who owns a barbershop and saying, OK, What colors represent your values? You know, people don't understand the relationship between colors and values. That's why every fast food sign is yellow and red, because those are things that grab people's attention. And they're affiliated with hunger. As she has on this
1: bright yellow shirt. Right.
0: (laughs) That's why it's called the blue plate special, right? Because that's where food looks appetizing on a blue plate. And that's why you will look at pottery and you'll see blue is incorporated in China for the last 300 years these colors being something and they resonate with something inside of us that is primal it's not learned it's not trained it just exists um and so being able to teach them how to use what already exists inside ourselves to connect is mm-hmm. my my niche or my favorite part is saying okay if this is what you do let's figure out why you do it how to show why you do it and take it to the next step mm-hmm. or the next level
1: now for a lot of small businesses They don't know the why. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes time to pull that information out of them, I know that, um, Carla, you have what you call the pivot assessment, Mm -hmm. right? So what do you use as kind of an assessment tool and what are some of the traits that you can
0: find on that tool? Right. So I have something similar, a pretest that I send everybody. It's about 25 questions and it goes back to when was the first time that you did what you do? Um, when you did it, what did you initially feel? You know, um, where were you in your life when you started this company? What struggles or what, you know, what prompted you to make the transition into this field? Is it something you've known since you were a child? Is it something you grew into as an adult? Why? Um, and then, you know, other questions up there are like, you know, what are your favorite colors? You know, what color is your car? It's simple stuff that people don't realize it matters to them, you know, that they, Gravitate to gravitate towards naturally, um, and then also I think it's important with any when you take on a marketing role in anybody's life and their business, you become essentially their like best friend, mm-hmm. um, and so it's important to nurture that relationship. So I'll have clients who I will you know spend time with for months before we ever even start our project just to research and understand their why for them in a sense, um, and if you don't know why, I'll literally go and just say hey. I'm going to hang out at the shop with you today or let's take a ride around and show me what your day looks like. I think one of the personality traits that I possess is I'm very observant and I can pick up on energy and see the impact. I'm I think my mom calls it so I can see it. I feel it, you know, so I can see what you need. Oh, excuse me. I can see what it is that, you know, people need at times. So it's a good and a bad thing, I guess.
1: Now, when it comes to um, you personally, mm-hmm. um, Like, you are young, ambitious, and you're doing what you believe you're called to do. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: What was it about Lupe Mm -hmm. that said, I need to have my own Mm -hmm. at a young age and not worry about what everybody else is talking and I got to work for this company and Mm -hmm. get this much skill set? Now, granted, I know that you've done that, but why did you decide, okay, the time is now for me to do this for me?
0: I kept getting fired. So well, that's a good indicator. Um, I kept I just consistently got fired. Um, and I couldn't identify the why. Like, I would feel like I was doing an amazing job. I'm like, everyone who comes here loves me. Like, why are you firing me? And it was just that I could not I couldn't see a problem and ignore it, you know? So in a lot of companies you're forced to watch it. Go Manifest through the ups and downs sure. and ups and downs and 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 not be able to say anything or people don't say anything and they just let it happen and I never could do that I'm like y'all know we can fix this by doing this that and the third and that threatens people you know especially when you're in a I did I I mean people call, think I'm like forty because I was in the military I sold cars I worked for Apple I worked for Best Buy what else have I done I and commercial video I worked for <laughs> uh. The biggest Trump supporter in North Carolina, I did um, film sports. Now, you can't
1: say the biggest Trump supporter in North Carolina. Oh, she is. No, 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 no. And people now wonder, oh, so you rough that way
0: too? No, 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 no. And that was where the conflict arose was that you can't, you know, force your political beliefs in the workspace, especially, you know, I've just, I've been through a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And in those situations, I was able to identify who I am. I can't go to the same place from nine to five Monday through Friday. I'll go crazy. I can't sit in a quiet office with headphones on while everybody around me is working and doing their own thing. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I get a lot of that from my dad because he um, is the same way. Mm -hmm. And I grew up riding with my dad to go show houses and go to go sell properties and go into closings and going to bank runs and going to pick up rent checks and that was what I did in middle and high school. And I saw that he was able to pick me up from school, come to my school when I had an emergency, bring me lunch. But yeah, that that was pretty much it. And so um, I've been blessed enough to be in situations where I felt safe enough to step out on my own, you know? I felt like I had the support I needed to do that. A lot of people don't, Mm -hmm. so they never try for fear. But I knew that the younger I started the less I had to lose. So I knew if I started when I could have a roommate and have my rent be $500 and I didn't have to worry about this humongous overhead, I'm like, look, my monthly bills is $600. $600 is a low goal. So I'm going to keep my goals (laughs) low and just build, you know? And um, it's got me to the point now where, you know, I'm doing better, but business is still growing and I'm blessed, you know, I can't complain, so.
1: Now, one of the things that I... um am often asked is, Angel, you know, you're doing so many different things. Mm-hmm. Like, where did you learn entrepreneurship? And it wasn't until very recently that I recognized that for me, it was so natural. Mm-hmm. Because like you just said, like, this is what I saw. Mm-hmm. Like, and if you continuously see something and you're exposed to something, that's your reality. That's what you come to know, right? Mm-hmm. So how would you say growing up and being with your dad and seeing that flexibility, seeing that freedom kind of shaped your mindset and knowing, yo, this is possible for me. Mm-hmm. This is what I've experienced as a child.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly it. Um I saw it and then I never admired people with traditional um career paths. You know, I was I've always been smart, you know, my intelligence has never but even in school, right, I didn't do well in the traditional school environment. I would get tested and do state tests, and I would excel and be in the top 98 percentile, but then my grades wouldn't reflect that same thing. And so it was constantly a conflict. I was always in trouble in school. Um, and it was just because you can't sit me in a room for that long, you know? And so I think what I saw, what I knew, and what I experienced um, allowed me to kind of hold myself in. And even now, you know, I look at my day to day and I'm like, you know, wow, you have 65 things to do for 13 different people. In 24 hours. In 24 hours. And I'm like, okay, if you sleep for three, you got to take the dog out and you make it eat at 12, 14, if you work fast enough, you know, but that's just my dad's life. Like I, like I said, and no, I keep bringing them up, but it was like, My grandparents retired young. When I was like nine, my grandparents had retired. So it was like everybody was always just doing their own thing, you know, and moving at their own pace. And that was just that was my life. So
1: now um, being that you just mentioned grandparents, um, one of the things that a lot of times we don't take into consideration as business owners are the external family. Um, matters that come into play. Mm -hmm. And I know from conversations that we've had that, you know, caregiving Mm -hmm. is important. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, when you you hit certain times in your life, it's a factor. How do you manage caregiving and being there for your family?
0: Um, I always put my family first. So I don't care Mm -hmm. what it is. I'll drop any and everything for my family. Um, And that's just because like, I have the the freedom to live the life that I have because of them. Um, And so it's just like um, I owe it to them in a sense. And it's like my my mom's family is big as well. Like my mom has eight brothers and sisters, so I grew up with 30 first cousins. And Mm -hmm. so it's like family was all I knew. Summers, you go see your family. You go to your grandma's house every other weekend. And I'm blessed to know, have big families on both sides, you know, so— it's just always been, like, family's always been a factor. You know, some people come from smaller families and they don't go home for the holidays and all that. We go home for Easter. I go home for Thanksgiving, Christmas, St. Patrick's Day, 4th of July, <laughs> Memorial Day, you know, Good Friday, Black Friday. It's, it's all family. Really? Black mm-hmm. Friday? Oh, me and my grandma and my aunt, we wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> don't need to trip. That's just that's a part of our—that's a part of the Tradition. Day. That's tradition, yes. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, it's just, you know, I love family. I love, I just, I don't know how to describe it. It's just, that's what it is.
1: So I'm going to j- jump ship over into marketing for mm-hmm. a, a quick second. What would you say are three things that are like necessities when it comes to building your brand or just marketing your business?
0: Mm-hmm. Three things. Um A good elevator pitch so a good 60 second you know 15 seconds really to be able to tell your story improve your point fast um consistency um is really big for me you know if you're gonna present yourself to offer a service or to do it something you have to do it um you can't just do it because you need to make some money right now um Mm -hmm. so consistency and then um the look, you know, you got to have the look. Um, the look is everything, especially in our microwave society, as people like to call it, where everybody wants instant gratification. Your judge, your credibility is judged by your following mm-hmm. um, for a lot of businesses. So it's like, you know, your look is everything. You know, you have to have the look. And some people see social media and stuff like that as turning our society to the left. But it's like, there's businesses that have been built on the internet that would have never existed in a brick and mortar space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just having the to look to, to success, I mean, to succeed and excel in that space, I think it's important.
1: Actually, I'm going to ask you this question as well,
2: Carla. When I look at my clients and what really ca- helps us connect is the fact that I'm sitting there looking at them at every touch point and the consistency one comes out loud and clear. But I also ask my clients who um, who do? You, how long do you want to be in business for? And they we'll say, oh, I want to be in business 40 years. And I say, okay, great. Then who is your client? So it's really getting them to think long-term about the business and where it's going. Because if you're not thinking about that um, and you're only developing for yourself, mm-hmm. because sometimes we don't even realize we're <laughs> developing the business for ourselves. And in reality, we need to be outside ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I think having an external inf- Focus is important, but also having a futuristic um, viewpoint is important because like you, I, you know, I always saw the train 60 miles away and it was like, well, I'm like you. Why can't we fix that problem right now? Mm-hmm. And people are like, nah, you know, it's not important. It's not top of the priority list. Or you're the problem child. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Or you're or, you know, in corporate speak, you're difficult because
3: mm-hmm. that's how
2: we as women get classified. Absolutely. Mm mm-hmm. No, that's good. That's good.
1: All right. So there's so, I just feel like there's so much Mm -hmm. that goes into marketing. I think that there's so much that goes into branding. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, it's one of those things that people get stomped with. Mm -hmm. Um, So I always encourage people, if you are building your brand and people aren't getting what it is that you do it's not resonating and i feel like carla you mentioned that like you had a company uh same company but you know different naming and all of that if it's not resonating with your audience you have to make the shift Mm -hmm. you know don't try to because you love the name of whatever it is don't try to force that on everyone else and think that they're going to accept it because Mm -hmm. if it's not working and if it's not getting you money what are you doing it for Mm -hmm. um so what would be like your one thing, like how I just shared that, like it's kind of like a pet peeve that you've seen that people do in the industry um, as business owners where they're just kind of like, they don't get it.
0: Um, I guess my biggest pet peeve um, for me is the oversimplification of what I do um, and people thinking that, you know, it's easy. Um and, and thinking and attaching a value to that service. Um so I think for me, right, it's like yeah, it's just three stars, a stripe and a triangle, but that took like eight hours.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: So I went through it had five stars to begin with. We had the downside. So, mm-hmm. um and understanding that, you know, you don't pay me for the fact that I did it in an hour. You pay me for the fact that I trained for 10 years to be able to do it for, for an hour. And so getting them to understand the value of having a creative, because I don't call myself, I just call myself a creative, right? I can create. Um, and so getting people to understand the value of that role and how impactful that can be both short term and long term.
2: I would say having a strategy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's real. it's what I find that when I talk to people, they really want to just jump to execution, mm-hmm. just get it out the door. I want the, the likes. I want this. I want that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it doesn't happen overnight. And one of the things I tell my clients is this is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you talk to clients that have never had marketing in-house, you also have to say to them because everybody looks at it as an expense. Mm. My attitude is it's an investment. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. if you don't invest in yourself, which is what really marketing is about, Mm -hmm. is investing in yourself, your business long-term, you will not be able to really thrive when there's a downturn Mm -hmm. because you won't even know where to pivot to. Because I like how you used your eyes. I hey, 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 gotta go there, <laughs> gotta go there. But you won't know where to pivot to because mm-hmm. you'll be doing the same thing. You won't realize that I have to look up to realize that something's not working. Mm-hmm. And when something's not working...
1: Sometimes it's too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No and, and,
2: yeah. And, and, and I, I have been in companies where <laughs> if they didn't start to pivot, it was, a gonna, it was going to be too late. I mean, it's why one of the reasons when I came into IBM... I came in as a temp secretary because it was right after Lou Gerstner had done all the layoffs. Mm -hmm. And to see the shell-shocked environment, yet the energy was there that said we can still make money. But when companies of that size can figure out how to do it. Small businesses can't. You you don't have that. You don't have that luxury. No. Mm
1: All right. Well, this is good. I've enjoyed this conversation. But we have come to the point in the show where it is time for us to shift to our moment's from the valley. This is where you share a valley moment that you did not think you would overcome and how you actually overcame that situation. So I'm going to give y'all a moment to think about what that valley moment is. And while y'all are thinking, we're going to listen to a little Ari Lennox, Shea Butter Baby.
3: Mm-hmm. Coconut oil, the center of your body the lingers on
0: sheets. I got a shot at you, you want to reach. Cop back, cop back, trigger release. Pop that top, take a sip of your holiest water. I know I'm a part of your flow now. say me, you cut it, don't matter. You love her, now you got part of her soul now. I ain't know them, but I know now. Apologies, dude, more than a few. The ones I ran through, but never loved you. I pray you found peace in your home now. I'm doing better, I got me a chocolate bar. Climbing on top of the bar. Think of the shape,
3: of
4: the lick in the places you only gonna lick when you rock with a fall. Ever. You lost
1: So that was a nice song. I have never even heard of Ari Lennox. So thank you to um, Lupe for telling us to try that one out. All right. So we are going to go ahead and lead right into our moments from the valley.
2: And we're going to start with you, Carla. So mine is um, when IBM restructured. The, the reality of, okay, I, I've been in this company for 20 years. I've had a lot of fun. I felt like I got a postdoctorate <laughs> degree in corporate America from Harvard, right? Right. Um, I mean, it's like, now what do I do? And the challenge for me was to really separate myself from the company and figure out what's my voice. What do I care about? What am I passionate about? Um, Because I hadn't had to do that for 20 years. The passion was the company I was working for and the clients that we serviced. And so for me, it was, you know, when you interview for 18 months and you don't get anything. This is really depressing. It's totally frustrating. And so, you know, when I sat down with the interview coach, you know, you're at, I'm, I was 47. So, you know, you're mid career and you're like, okay, I got a house, I got a mortgage, I got a car payment. <laughs> what am I going to do? And she would say, so hearing somebody say, go into business for yourself was not what I wanted to hear. But it was the right thing that I needed to do. I mean, I literally, I remember sitting in the restaurant when she said that. And I said, well, I need to go think about that. I walked into the bathroom and washed my hands and said, okay, do you want 18 more months of job hunting or do you want to go, well, what would 18 months of, of your own business be like? And I said, okay, let's do the business thing. Walked out the bathroom and said, hey, let's, let's go ahead and get this going. It wasn't until I sat down with my first client who said to me, I haven't driven any revenue in two years. References and referrals are not working. I want to do the digital thing. And I looked at him like the digital thing. And we sat down, I said, I don't know about that, but let's sit down and keep talking. To see him three years later, you know, when I sat down and talked to him, you know, after we'd gone through and developed a newsletter, because we did go digital, but we realized that, again, it was storytelling for him that we had to work on because the market had changed. It gotten more complex and he hadn't pivoted with it. That I was able to see him get to... He's like, oh, I'm making six figures now because of the hard work. And that's why I keep telling people this is not something that's going to be a quick fix. This is going to be some hard sweat equity on your part, just as much as mine, to help you get there. And so, you know, one of the reasons I named the company Pivoting Strategies is because it will take... if you When you're ready to make that change, it may take multiple strategies to get there. And so Mm -hmm. the use of the colors green is about wealth green is about um opportunity um and orange is about having a two-way conversation because we were we're going to need multiple conversations before we can figure out where we need to pivot you to
1: okay
2: so that's for me what mine was awesome thank you for sharing Mm
1: -hmm. i feel like i need to know what my colors mean (laughs) have some Some side conversations
0: (laughs) did you say annoying (laughs) luve it's your turn I would say my valley moment was the last time I got fired. Mm-hmm. So I relocated to D.C., and when I left Charlotte, I was in the car sales business. So I had been like, you know, doing this on the side, but I was selling cars to maintain, and I was good at selling cars. Like, I could—I sold a lot of cars, so I was good. And that shows you that I'm good at marketing strategy because I was— Anyway, so I was good at selling cars. When I transitioned to D.C., um— the dealership market here is just different Um, and so the income wasn't transitioning like I made more money in Charlotte Um, and so I let my dealership instead of going to another dealership I let them convince me to transition into service Um, so I wrote service for vehicles and I hated it I had to be there at 7 in the morning every day and you had to walk into people's cars and it was just nasty you know you're getting people people are nasty and so you're getting nasty cars and You got to take them back. And then people cuss you out because they haven't changed their oil in a year and a half. And now their car is messed up and it's your fault. And it was just, it was rough. And every day, it just got worse and worse. And then the leadership wasn't what it needed to be either. And so um, I addressed them. I'm like, look, we're dealing with these issues because there isn't a system in place for us to be more effective. Like, it's not my fault. And, you know, all these things, it was just a lot. And so... He, in uh, the middle of the day, one day, he was like, yeah, I'm going to have to ask you to uh, I'm gonna let you go. And I was like, corporate just came in and gave me an award, and you're firing me? um So I was like devastated. I just moved to D.C. My rent had literally tripled. um I was devastated. And uh I went home and sat down, and I applied for jobs and got a job at this Chinese news agency. So I was like, cool, it was good money. I got paid every two weeks. I was like, yes. And I got fired. And I got fired from that place in like three weeks. Like it didn't even take long, like a month. Um, and my boss was in Shanghai. Um, it was just crazy. And so I was like, this is it. Like I can't do this anymore. And um, I was like, I had blown everything. My money was low. And I was just like, you know, thank God for Ariel. Because um, she, she supported us for a long time. Um, and I finally got in contact with EAT and uh, EAT is a streetwear brand here in D.C., and um, they put me in rooms with people that I needed to know. You know, I'm new to D.C. D.C. is huge, so you can get lost if you don't know what direction to go in. Um, And so they were introducing me to club owners and business owners and party promoters and stuff like that, and that was where I took my, like, turn or came out of my valley. was I was getting work in my field. You know, I never had a full week of work in creative space before so I was like this is amazing you know and um all of that has led me to where I am now where I've met the right people I've been in the right rooms and had the right conversations and I'm able to sustain a living on my own um so I'm just thankful for that
1: awesome well thank you ladies for both sharing your journeys um which ironically were pretty similar Um, but I mean, I have a story like that too. So I think that it's something that a lot of people can relate to, but knowing, you know, from both of you that there was something greater waiting on the other side is, um, empowering and inspirational. So thank you both for sharing that with us today. Now, would you like to share your social media information so people can get in contact with you and follow you? Yeah.
2: Um, you can find me on LinkedIn on the company page, Pivoting Strategies. You can find me on, um, Facebook and Instagram is Pivoting Strategies. And then on Twitter, it's Pivoting Strategies Without the E.
0: Okay. Um. Yeah. So my biggest social media platform is Instagram. So you can follow me on Instagram at Lupe.dc.
1: All right. Wonderful. Well, thank you, ladies, both for being our guests. That is our show for today. So please check out past broadcasts on our website, wbbtalk.com, and pick up your copy of The Washington Informer to see the woman Behind the Business Spotlight section. And don't forget that the Vision 2020 retreat in Nassau, Bahamas will be taking place February 20th through 24th in Nassau, Bahamas at the Bahama Resort, Inc convention center um let's see what else do i want to tell you oh follow us on social media at wbb talk and a special thank you to our show producer cal murdoch and our program director max myrick until next time stay blessed